Hi, and welcome to the Seven Elements of Wellness podcast. I'm Trish DeMarcus. And I'm Lacey Wall, aka L-Dub. And we are the creators of the Seven Elements of Wellness lifestyle routine, dedicated to helping you feel good more than you don't. The Seven Elements of Wellness are spiritual, mental, emotional, relational, nutritional, physical, and financial. And what we found is that we're all living these elements. It's how much attention are we giving each one? Because where your attention goes, your energy flows. When you combine them all and they flow together, it's powerful. This really is a personal development program combined with an overall wellness program. We've had amazing feedback from the community and people are shedding weight. They are repairing their relationships, overcoming anxiety. It's helping with depression. It's a journey of self-love, a foundation to help you be the best version of yourself. Just be. And that's what this podcast really is about. We are dedicated to bringing you the best of the best in each of their elements. So whether you're on the beginning of your wellness journey or you're a seasoned biohacker, we can promise you that you're going to find value in each and every episode. Let's go. Let's see how many days in a row we can flow. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the podcast today. I'm Courtney Stoll. And today it's all about the relational element. Relationships, they can be absolutely the most beautiful gift, right? The most amazing experiences. And they can also be the most challenging and difficult and frustrating. And that's especially the case if it's with someone that you love, someone that you live with, someone that you work with. Today on the podcast, we have Jen Hurst. She is a personality strategist specializing in the Enneagram. Now she's going to go into great detail about what the Enneagram is, and you're going to see that this is probably one of the most helpful systems to assist us in not only knowing more about ourselves, but others as well, and how to understand and relate to others. Jen works with individuals, couples, groups. She works with businesses. She says the most rewarding part of her work is observing people as they befriend themselves, sometimes for the very first time in their lives. Jen helps people understand who they are. And again, she uses this through the lens of personality and through the Enneagram. With that understanding, she then teaches her clients how to use this knowledge about themselves purposefully to create a more self-aware life. There is a reason that she is here with us today to talk about the relational element. She is so, so knowledgeable. So I'm going to pose a few questions before we start to you. How do we have meaningful connecting relationships in our lives and still stay true to who we are? How do we become so self-aware of ourselves that we know where to meet people in order to have healthy relationships? And when I say meet people, where we know how to interact with them in a space that is honoring to both of us. These questions and so many more are going to be answered by Jen today. There's so much information packed into this episode. Let's jump in. Hello, Jen. Welcome to the podcast. We are so excited for you to be here today. Thank you so much. I'm super happy to be here. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Great. That's awesome. I can start there. My name is Jen, and I live here in St. George. We lived here for about seven years. I'm a mother of seven, six boys, and one girl right in the middle. I have two daughter-in-laws and a brand new little grandbaby. As my day job, what I do for profession is I'm a personality strategist. I specialize in teaching people the Enneagram, which is an ancient system of understanding the human experience from the lens of nine basic core fundamental personalities. It is something that I found while living in Austin, Texas, maybe 10 or 12 years ago. I discovered a book, one of the sort of Bibles of the Enneagram called The Wisdom of the Enneagram, and it sat on my nightstand for a couple of years. During those years, we were busy. We were raising a family, and I was in the process of doing a lot of my own deconstructing, a lot of my own uh, self-work per se, but also having babies. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so the real energy behind doing my work as an individual really came kind of in my late 30s when I dove deeper into self-awareness and the Enneagram sort of became a vehicle for that. So we moved from Austin, Texas to St. George. And shortly after that, I took a deep dive into this system of understanding the human experience. It happened to be the one thing that I sort of found that could describe me to me all of a sudden. You know, I had a lot of tools in my metaphorical tool belt of 
how to, you know, how to become more centered. I had learned a lot about attachment theory. I learned a lot about the brain and how it works and did a lot of my own quote unquote brain work, did neural feedback and some trauma therapy called TMS. So I was deeply invested into this path of of healing. And I found a lot of that through those modalities, but I had this tool belt that was kind of filled with ideas and authors and books and strategies. And it wasn't until the Enneagram sort of came alive for me and discovered that the Enneagram and in a lot of sense could not necessarily replace them, but it could include all of that into a system of understanding me. So I've had a long struggle in mental illness in a sense. My depression is a very genetic sort of depression. It's very similar to what my dad had. I was really close with my dad and he died uh, when I was in high school. Mm. And so I didn't really have a lot of resources to talk about depression and how depression looked different in me than the way that it looked on TV. So I wasn't crying and I wasn't sad. I was this very happy, depressed person that had this monkey on my back that was anxiety. So, you know, my path into where I am today in relationship with myself really has to include a lot of those journeys that I took to get where I am. And of course, my passion of the Enneagram led to a profession in the Enneagram where I continued my education, got the certifications that I needed, and now have a business helping people to find that voice within them that I found within myself. And I can be a guide to help people on that way to discover themselves. People value what they discover more than what they are told. And so that idea led to my desire to become an educator in this space as opposed to a coach or a therapist or anything like that. I wanted to teach people. And I recently heard a quote from a mentor of mine who said, sometimes a teacher, always a student. And I love that phrase a lot because that is the space that I live in with people is sometimes I'm a teacher, but most of the time I'm a student along with my fellow, you know, men and women that are doing this work. So that's a little bit of how I got to be where I am today. And I'm, I couldn't be more fulfilled with the work that I'm seeing in people's lives as they learn to reacquaint themselves with this person that they had spent most of their life, in a sense, kind of avoiding. And I had a lot of ways in which I could avoid myself with seven children, a busy life. I was bypassing this essential aspect of who I am through really good things, you know, so... The Enneagram's been a really huge gift in in bringing me back to myself and helped every relationship across the board. I know Lacey and Trish wanted you specifically to come on to the relational element episode because of your deep knowledge and understanding of the Enneagram. And we're going to jump into that in a little bit more detail in just a minute. But before we do that, I wanted to talk a little bit about the relational element. At Seven Elements of Wellness, our goal is to invite others to look at these seven areas, right, every single day. And there's a daily to be checklist item every day. And for the relational element, it is to cultivate a relationship or to just smile at someone. I think you probably naturally have expertise and an understanding for individuals through all of your experiences and the ways that you've worked with so many different people. But I want to get your thoughts on relationships. Why is it important? that we would cultivate a relationship or smile at someone every day? Why is it important for us to connect with someone every day? That's a good question. Thank you for asking that because I, I have that thought a lot. As a reference, I identify as an Enneagram 2. And an Enneagram 2 is the most relational of all the types. They're very other-focused. They're very oriented towards other people. And their offering is often kindness. You know, Their strategy is, I'm going to give to others what I really want back. So I'm going to give a deep, firm hug because I want a deep, firm hug back. And I'm going to be very generous with my affection and words of affirmation. I mean, that's very much the strategy of a two. And I think that that benefits us always. You know, my problem probably began, or not, I don't know if it's a problem, but the dilemma for me was that I was avoiding myself. 
I was so other focused that I was not reciprocating that kindness back to myself. And the story that I often use to illustrate how this sort of became alive for me is when we lived in Texas and we would come into the ranch. We have some property here in Southern Utah. It's sort of a gathering place, if you will. And I have a a family member who has been really close to me. He's been a really, really important part of my life. After my dad died, he sort of was this father figure in a sense. And in my mind's eye, I had put him into this space of really high importance. And absolutely, he is. But if you're looking through the lens of this type two that is the most relational, I was seeking relationship every time I saw him. I wanted connection. I wanted, in a sense, validation for what I thought was this really valuable relationship and indispensable and special because he was kind of my guy in my mind. So we would come and I would sit in this little area that we like to sit and look at photo albums and things. And I would just start asking questions because that's what a two does when they're looking to relate. And how are you doing? How's this? How's your business? How's that retaining well? Oh, did you ever plant that garden? Oh, how are your kids? And how's work? Oh, what are you going to do when you retire? I mean, just kind of seeking and bidding for this reciprocal connection. And I was met with sort of one-line answers and no reciprocal questions. And over time, I would start to be like, well, I don't really know what else to ask. And I could feel the resistance. Energetically, I could feel that he wasn't coming in to where I was wanting him to. Really, I was looking for him to fulfill this need in my... So few experiences like that left me with a deep-rooted sadness. Mm -hmm. So I had gone and continued to do my work and my study into the Enneagram, and I had read about the five, the Enneagram five, which is the most boundaried. They're very individual. They need a deep sense of autonomy. And if they sense intrusion when they're not willing and able to contribute, it feels very violating for them. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh my gosh, this person is a five. It just described my experience of him really well. Let me just add really fast that the Enneagram doesn't describe how others experience us. It describes how we experience ourselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I was sort of walking this fine line because I was trying to discern him based upon how I experienced him, which is fine. We kind of have to do that in relationships, right? I was getting cues from him that he didn't want me to pry. He didn't want me to ask questions. So I adjusted I returned back to my center where I wasn't self-betraying. I mean, I I use this term a lot <laughs> to describe where I was, that I was kind of a prostitute for connection. You know, mm-hmm. I just, <laughs> I wanted to have connection so bad that I would betray myself in a lot of relational situations. Yeah. So I went the next time I saw him and I, I made an agreement with myself that I would not ask any questions, that I would just be very cordial, but I wouldn't. I I really just was like, I'm not going to talk. I'm just going to be with. And so I came and I sat in the same chairs that we always sit in, and I didn't say a word. And it was so hard because my tendency, my emotional habit is to this awkwardness, you know, this tension. I, I can only live with this for so long, and then I have to start connecting and relating. That's my way, right? Yeah. But it's not his. Right. I didn't say anything. And by about 20 minutes had passed, it was very painful because, oh, I wanted to talk so bad. And he looked over to me and grabbed my arm and said, Jenny, how are you doing? <gasps> yeah. And, you know, my inclination, again, if I was not aware of this inner habit, would have been to just break open the door and be like, oh, I'm doing so good. How are you? What did it? And just go right to, he invited me in, but he didn't invite me in to stay. And so I just said, I'm doing really great. Thanks for asking. And then zipped it back up. Wow. And held my heart and knew. and And my eyes filled with tears. I felt more connected in that moment of me meeting him where he was. So this is a an example of me being self-aware of myself enough to know where to meet people to have healthy relationships. Our relationship has dramatically improved. Nothing has inherently changed, but my perception of how we are relating, my perception of connection is more aligned with who I am and I'm not I'm not invading another person. So this sort of goes right back into your question, which is how do we how do we relate with other people without betraying ourselves? And that's really where my 
heart is in this, particularly in this relationship, is I had to no longer betray myself. And when I could stay in alignment with my essence and what was important to me, I have so much ability to love other people, to have relationship with other people. Now, people on the street, we can love extravagantly, we can be kind, we can invite relationship. And for some, that's easier. For me, that's Mm -hmm. really easy. Mm -hmm. I can have relationship with anybody. You find an Enneagram seven, they're going to be friends with anybody. You know, they can be anybody's friend. But, you know, an Enneagram five is going to approach life very differently. And knowing a little bit about this framework can dramatically affect the way that you relate in the world, because you recognize that people are not versions of me. You know, I was interpreting before I understood this, that I knew intellectually that this person wasn't a, a version of me. But emotionally and energetically, I was looking for mirroring. I was, you know, we have mirror neurons, right? I'm looking for sameness. Every type is looking for sameness. How are you like me? Mm -hmm. I heard a quote recently that said that when we ask ourselves, how are you like me, is the lowest level of self-mastery in leadership. That is profound to me. We need to see each other for who they are, for their inherent gifts and for their inherent worthiness and and what they have to offer. And everybody is different. You know, we may even have a room full of the same types, but they're going to behave differently. They're going to be motivated and driven by the same emotional habits and defense mechanisms and and basic fears and motives. But the way they present is going to be very different. We have different instincts. We have different lives. So I think holding space for that idea that people are not versions of me, they have their own story, and to remain curious. And I think curiosity is just fertile ground for kindness towards other because you're curious about the other. What? Are, who are you today? I just had this conversation with Lacey that you know I want endless curiosity when I meet with people, when I see them, when I see a friend, that what I know of them today is going to be different than maybe what I knew of them three months ago when I saw them last. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I want to know who you are today. Where have you grown? How have you yeah. expanded? And what, you know, and this is very evolved thinking. I realize that the majority of the world doesn't view things like this. They're just sort of running on autopilot. And that's okay, because that's part of their journey. But for me, me recognizing that people are shifting and adjusting and becoming, my hope is, better versions of themselves. And I'm very, very curious about that. It has helped me to have much better relationships across the board, because I have tried really hard to remain curious, to sort of check the bias, check the prejudice. They show up all the time. We are uh, repeatedly tripping over our own biases, what we think we know about people, and that gets in the way. So curiosity, I think, is key for kindness and relationships. I don't know if that answers your question. It was a long walk. Yeah, there was so much in there that was so beautiful. I'm like trying to piece each parts of that because I I almost want to go back to each piece and, and talk about each one. But what really stood out to me is just the fact that relationships are complicated And that when it's not so much about you, but learning about yourself and then learning about others or giving others the space to be themselves, not taking that personally, that can be hard. I think what you were saying about the majority of the world operates not really thinking this intensely or this openly about other people. Can I just mention one yes. idea there? And yeah. This, this, you've hit on something that comes up a lot for me when I work with people is yeah. that many, many people, and there, there's no shame in this, but I think many people are very unaware of themselves. Yes. And that makes it a hard, sometimes difficult, complicated journey to have relationships with other people that we're trying to understand. And you may have heard the quote that says, you know, we can't take people to places that we haven't already been ourselves. Mm-hmm. We can't go deep with people if we haven't gone deep ourselves. Right. And so the invitation to become well acquainted with ourselves is really the basis of my work. And I talk a lot about it being kind of like we've been in this dark room our 
our whole life. And yet we're very familiar with ourselves. Most people very, very much know their tendencies, but we live in a very other focused world. We live in a very other focused culture. Many of us, you know, especially in this area of the world, we're grown in Western, many Christian cultures, which is lose yourself in the service of others. Well, you know what? That's a really great thing. But it gets really messy when people are stumbling around in the dark in their mm-hmm. own life. Yeah. And so the work to kind of get familiar with that, even if what we're doing is in the dark for a while, and ultimately we find a light switch and we turn it on and we, we're like, oh, yeah, I'm learning nothing new about myself, but I have context mm-hmm. for it. And the Enneagram gives people context for themselves. I've worked with a lot of people that the one of their first things is like, oh, I have a really difficult relationship with my husband or, you know, oh, I have this really difficult work relationship. And they, they're really looking to gain insights about the other. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. No, no, no. <laughs> you know, yeah. like, that's great. And there's a million self-help books that will help you with that. What this work is, is returning to relationship with yourself. Yeah. And I'll help you find that light switch, and we're going to navigate this. And, you know, that stack of papers that are all messy over there in the corner that you've been freaking out about, and you're stressed out about, and you're avoiding yourself. <laughs> yeah. When we turn that light on, and you go over there, and it's like, oh, they're just a bunch of blank papers. You know, it's been old newspapers. It wasn't a big deal. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, I can breathe. And now I can sort of befriend this part of myself that I was avoiding and betraying and and, and neglecting. So, you know, back to this idea that we can only go with people, we can only connect with people as far and as deep as we have connected to ourselves. Can you say that again? I'm not even kidding. Say that again. (laughs) We can only, no, I'm gonna let you say it again. Well, I probably won't say it the same way, (laughs) but we can only go as deep and as intimate and vulnerable with people as we are able to go as deep and vulnerable with ourselves. Yeah. Oh, that just like hit me right there. Um, (laughs) About the Enneagram. I want you to talk a little bit about the Enneagram. Just give us an overview. It's a nine type system, right? But how does the Enneagram that you do and you work with, how does that help facilitate the relationships? You touched on that so much, but just narrowing it down to just kind of a basic understanding How does the Enneagram help us facilitate these relationships and have these experiences where we can connect with someone and everyone's authentically being who they are? Mm, Yeah. I'll start by saying that the Enneagram comes from a long tradition. And so when people often get introduced to the Enneagram, they have a sense that it's spiritual in nature. The fundamental bare bones of the Enneagram is very spiritual in nature because it speaks to this essence of who we are. The Enneagram invites us to become familiar with our pattern. And why is it useful today when we have so many other modalities? You know, Western psychology is a little over 230 years old. So we have great information that's coming to us through the psychology lens, through the neurology lens. And what's so fascinating about this tradition, because it comes from such a long line, is that you can stack the Enneagram right up against the Buddhist tradition and Sufism. And it's like, oh, yeah, like the language is a little different. But what I see is that there was a long line of very inspired, sort of in touch, intuitive consciously aware people. There had to have been, right, before psychology, Western psychology didn't invent these ideas. They existed and they were passed down. And and we have modalities now, tools and systems that help us to understand it. And so the Enneagram is just one of those. If you look up the Enneagram online, you'll find that there's churches, non-denominational churches that have sort of used this framework in their theology, and that's great. More power to you. I think it's fantastic. I wish this would have been taught to me in my family of origin and through my upbringing in Christianity. Yeah. But it is very, very spiritual in a sense. You know, one of the key practices is a spiritual practice, some sort of contemplative practice. Why? Because that helps you to go into this dark room that you've been in. It helps you to find that light switch or that dimmer switch. All of that introspection feels very energetic and unexplainable. Mm-hmm. And the, you know, the Enneagram really invites you to do that. So that's one aspect of how we sort of got the Enneagram. But the application for it in modern day is used in corporate worlds prolifically. You'd be surprised. The list of corporations like Best Buy and Hewlett-Packard and uh, Monster Drinks, Chick-fil-A, UPS. These in- industries use the Enneagram to help facilitate better 
interpersonal relationship within business. But then it's used in sort of a psycho-spiritual respect where people in religion, many different kinds, are using it as a framework. People in non-denominational religions or spiritual uh, spiritual circles are using it. So there's a big psycho-spiritual part Mm -hmm. of it. Yeah. So it has been a really, really valuable tool in my journey and path to myself. It describes nine basic lenses, nine fundamental orientations. I talk about this often too, that it kind of in the same framework as the room, that we are sort of like this house, this floor plan, if you will, this blueprint. So if you had a a line of type ones all stacked up next to each other, and they were all different quote unquote people, and they were given this type one floor plan, but what every one of them does to it is infinitely different. Mm, Their life history, their trauma, their attachment, their um, wounding, you know, their family of origin, social demographics, their race, ethnicity, so many things changes how that quote unquote blueprint evolves. But if I meet with these people, we would look at those things like where's the damage? Where's the maintenance? How much garbage do you have in your house you know <laughs> what what door do you walk in most of the time those things are sort of important to me but ultimately by the time we start really doing the work we've broken everything out and we're right down to the studs and then you stack all of those type ones next to each other and they're all fundamentally the same wow yeah but superficially they're very different and that matters to mm-hmm. me it just doesn't change our natural inclination to protect certain things. We're all ultimately looking to get what we need and avoiding what we don't want. Yeah. So there's nine ways of doing that, nine different ways of thinking, feeling, and behaving. So that's kind of the Enneagram. It's quite complex, but when you realize that every type is given a number so that they remain neutral, of course, there are stereotypes that are given to it and lists of descriptors that are given for each type, and that's helpful. That kind of helps us summarize in a way. But the neutral numbers helps us to realize that this is, in a way, kind of like that framing right down to the studs. The numbers are the studs, and then the descriptors are all the things that we kind of build around it. And every every type one is going to present a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. Um, so it breaks out to even more than nine types when you begin to investigate the instincts. These are primal instincts that relate to how we run in the world. So as an example, you could have a room of sevens and they all have a different instinct. There's three. There's a sexual, social, and self-preservation. And so they won't look and feel the same. They won't behave the same. Other people won't experience them the same, Mm. even though they're all motivated by the same thing. Right. So instincts is another layer. I, I always talk about type as being a zoom out. Mm-hmm. And then when we start discovering instincts and deeper levels, it's like we're zooming in and then we zoom in more. And then we just kind of keep zooming in until we become really comfortable with one aspect of how we present. So that's sort of the Enneagram in a nutshell. Okay. So if we are going to look at our relationships, so let's incorporate the Enneagram into a relationship. What is the most important thing, or there's probably more than one I'm assuming, but what what are the important parts of understanding who you are, your floor plan, what you would create, what you would tear down, how you would react, your instincts? What would be important about knowing those things about yourself to help your relationships? Well, the Enneagram symbol, Ennea stands for nine and gram stands for diagram. So it's a round circle with points around it, which represent the nine points. And then there are, there's essentially a hexad in the middle. There's lines that intersect. And it's a very dynamic diagram. It's moving constantly. People are not stagnant. They're not the same every day. They're not even the same hour to hour. Mm, They're moving. People are adjusting. What's happening is people adjust up and down within their type. They go from healthy at the very top to pathological at the bottom, and we usually are somewhere in the middle. So we're doing that all the time, moving up and down all the time. And then we have what's called resources, resource points. And in the old literature, it was described as points of integration and points of disintegration. I don't use that language. I just talk about them as being resources available to each type based upon what you need. Mm -hmm. In stress, you could be really healthy and have a stressful moment and resources to your stress point. And in that space, you can go up and down within health in your stress resource. So understanding this, that 
ooh, I know this person and they just looked really different right there. Mm. You know, they yeah. just presented in a really different way. That helps me if I know their type and if I or at least can suspect their type. I'm not taken off guard as a two when they go to their stress number, they get to be aggressive. Eights are the most aggressive of all the types. Mm. That can be very alarming. And if you're not familiar with it, or if you're looking at people through this sameness lens, are you same as me? And all of a sudden they do something really aggressive, you take it personally. That's mm-hmm. the tendency. It's like, yeah. ooh, this means something about me. Right. This person from my life that was really important, that five, I had taken his what I call emotional stiff arming very personally. So I think learning this helps you to not take things personally. And it also opens up an opportunity to have greater understanding and compassion for the people you associate with. I have two type four children. And if you know a four, they have deep emotional capacity. They have the deepest emotional reservoir of all the types. Mm. And I resource as a two to four in security. I do a lot of four things that's easy for me to meet my fours where they are. I'm not adjusting and changing myself. I'm very centered. It's kind of You can't shape shift to meet people where they are. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Mm -hmm. There are certain types that are really good shape shifters. The type threes are excellent shape shifters. You know, they'll be who you want me to be. Mm -hmm. And there's a self-betrayal in that. So, you know, meeting people where they are is not self-betraying. It's not shape shifting. It is, I see you and I see what you need and I want to meet you where you are. So with this knowledge in mind, I am able to meet my son in deeper levels of connection because I know that's where he is. Mm-hmm. The rest of us float on this top of this metaphoric, you know, relational world. We're just floating on the top of the water. Sometimes we dive down a little bit. Some of us are real afraid to go down there. I'm not too afraid because I... I'm familiar with it. I share a line there. It's organic for me to be able to access that. But guess what? He lives there. So if you had a four in your life, you're like, why are they so dang emotional all the time? Everything's so dramatic. And they're always talking about their feelings and everything is so intense. And well, because that's where they are. That's -hmm. where they live. And they feel very lonely there sometimes. They feel very misunderstood there sometimes. So if you don't meet them where they are, they will forever feel unknown and feel forever misunderstood. Wow. Yeah. And I'm just thinking as you're talking, like, isn't that what we all want? As human beings, we want to connect. We want to be there for our children, for our spouse, for our best friend. We want to connect with them. We want to understand them. What a gift to have this knowledge and be able to say, oh, I know where you are. I see where you are. I support you where you are. That's kind of hard to get to sometimes if we're not healthy in ourselves, right? Can you talk a little bit more about that? Because I just feel like that's such an important point that most people don't see this. They They don't have the gift of the Enneagram and the details of that in their lives. And so when they love someone so much, when a person loves someone so much and they're trying to connect and support them or that person is in pain or withdrawing and it's like, I need you, I want you, I wanna be there for you. But everyone's always seeking to understand other people and we're missing each other a lot. Right. I think that kind of goes to what I mentioned earlier about personality, essence, and ego, that we are in essence, this is, I, I, I don't know how to explain it. There just is an energetic property of who we are. We're born with this essence. The Enneagram teaches that you come with this quote unquote personality, but actually personality is what happens to us. Mm. It's what we acquire. So when I talk about this blueprint or this framing, the personality is like the facade, you know, it's the paint on the house and the shutters and the roof, what style, I mean, it's that sort of the style, but organically we're oriented towards this essence of who we are. It's unchanging. You know, I have I have twins. I've talked about this before, but when they came, someone asked if they were identical or fraternal. And of course, we know that identical twins even have different quote unquote personalities, right? Yeah. I just said one of them is a soggy donut and the other one is a crispy chip. And that was how <laughs> I understood them. Yeah. And if I could translate that now to 22-year-old people, the one of them is a soggy donut and the other one's a crispy chip. And I could give you a whole <laughs> bunch of words that would then, you know, continue on from there. So our egos, that gets right out in front of us in relationship. 
And I think this is going back a little bit to the shape shifting. Well, maybe I need to be a different version of me for you to like me. Maybe mm-hmm. I need to be bigger and you'll like me better. Or yeah. maybe I need to be smaller and you'll like me better. And yeah. I think that's really dangerous territory because it is very self-betraying. You know, the invitation that I could give to anybody would be to learn who you are. And that feels selfish. I know people struggle with that. This, you know, beautiful saying, which is to love who you are, return to self-love. I know that sounds really cute and pretty and annoying to people. Like, yeah, 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 you do that. I'm I'm going moving on with my life. Well, we just don't get very far in life when we perpetually avoid who we are. Mm-hmm. So I think it, it is the quest of my lifetime to become more and more familiar with who I am. And as long as I can do that, I can accept responsibility. I have accountability. I am only responsible for me and how I show up in the world. And it's really maddening for people, really honestly, because they're do like many people are doing their work, but yet their family members aren't and their friends aren't. And so how do we negotiate this terrible, difficult, sometimes impossible intersection of I'm doing my work, I'm really, really trying, and this other person isn't. And then there's this friction that happens there. And the invitation is just return back to yourself, return back to you go home to you, and then you will be given through your own innate gifts and powers the ability to meet people where they are. Even if that means I have to relax my essence, I have to relax my type structure, I have to relax my ego, you know, those things relax when we're home. Yeah. Then we can show back up. We have no responsibility for the other. We have absolutely zero control over what the other does. So I'm just going to keep showing up. And I'm going to keep coming home. I'm I'm getting like emotional here. <laughs> I am. I feel like I want to cry because mm-hmm. I feel like you're speaking so much to my heart. And mm. I feel like you're speaking so much to so many people. Mm. I'm so grateful Thank you're you. here sharing this because we all just want to come home. We all just want to be mm. home. I'm seriously going to cry. Yeah, I, I, we, we all want to be home mm-hmm. and we want to be taken care of. Mm. And a lot of times we just don't know how to take care of ourselves. We don't know how to take care of others. And then we get into so much chaos, right? And so mm-hmm. much overwhelm. Mm-hmm. And if, like you said, we can just, when we get in that space or we're not connecting with someone, if we bring it back home, come back home, come back to your safe Mm -hmm. space. Mm -hmm. And I know you help so many people with that. You've helped me with this. I think Mm -hmm. that's why I'm getting emotional because (laughs) this has really been a game changer for me in my life Mm -hmm. and in my relationships Mm -hmm. as I've learned about the Enneagram from you. What else do you want to share with us about this while we're just in this space? Is there anything more that you would want to touch upon? I guess the thing that comes to mind is that when you return home, we're not closing doors. People might think, well, it's, I'm shutting myself off to others when I'm just thinking about myself. Isn't that egocentric to just talk about coming home to yourself all the time? And there was this a tribe or a group, a civilization, an ancient civilization in India, in Verdict, India, and they have a way of living called sadhana. And it's really just this path to yourself. And it includes three basic fundamental paths which is gana, batiki, and karma. And I think most of us are familiar with karma. So karma is action, bakiti is worship, and gana is knowledge. So that could line right up with this, the Enneagram, which is really this path to ourself, the path to home. Sadhana is a is a journey. It is a way of being. It is a way of returning home. And if we continue to do that, doors open. You know, the path of of action, karma, we all hear what karma is, you know, you get back to you what you've given. But really, that is the opening of doors. That is me finding that I have doors now that I can open. We don't have to have our doors open all the time. There's the potential of trespassing, of people that aren't good for us and we have no boundaries. When we come home, we, we develop the boundary. We develop that we can live a lifetime. I mean, most of us aren't going to live our life devoted as a monk or, you know, devoted into this self-transformation path. Mm-hmm. But when we do acknowledge that we have innate intelligence to return to ourselves, it becomes less scary and it becomes more inviting to other people. 
Mm-hmm. If I avoid my home, it gets messy, it gets disorganized, it gets where I don't even want to be there. But when I come home and take care of it, oh, I want people to come. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And it's a path. It, we, it's There's no destination. We don't arrive anywhere, which is what I love about learning about Eastern cultures is they see it as a journey. You know, that we are just every day back to the beginning where we talked about this curiosity in people that every day there's newness in you and there's newness in me. That's so true. Every day. And you even said every hour, which is so true. Every hour, every day, we move through different spaces and become different people. And then sometimes we come back around, sometimes we go back. I love that. You also mentioned that it sounds selfish to most people to take care of yourself this much or to be so consumed with self, but it's not. And I think about the typical analogy of the, you know, the oxygen mask, right? You got to put the oxygen mask on yourself first in order to help others so that you can breathe. You need to be able to breathe first so that you can help and take care of other people. And that's kind of what this feels like. Mm. It feels like it's so much more than that, but it's basic in that way. And if people can remember that, I need to take care of me first. I need to be able to breathe myself first. That's not selfish. Mm -mm. That's probably one of the most loving things you can do for other people. Yes, it's very true. And I think once you get into that space, you realize how much you have to offer others when you have done your work. Yeah, when you're not no longer in a space of betrayal toward yourself. Yes then how much more can you do for other people, including yourself? Right. Like, oh, the doors are wide open. It's yeah. so exciting. It's very true. There's a sense to people that this is like, oh, it's so heavy. You know, it's not really. It's actually really fun work. Mm-hmm. The Enneagram isn't about going into your past. And I mean, it's like, yeah, I, I kind of like to know a little bit, but it's so forward thinking. And when you realize back to this stack of papers that we've been worried about, you know, metaphorically, and you realize that it's really not that big of a deal, you've lost this weight that you've carried. And mm-hmm. life gets more front. I, I think of freedom. I think of an incredible deep source of freedom within myself. Mm-hmm to be who I am. Am I going to change? No, I didn't get to choose who I am. I came this way. I came with these patterns. I've always been like this. I could talk about it from when I was a kid. You know, I often ask people to describe what they were like as kids because type shows up as children. Mm -hmm. So it becomes fun and it becomes a joy and it becomes light. And the heaviness of these things, it's so much heavier when we avoid Mm-hmm. as opposed to when we face it. Yeah, I feel like it's exciting. Yeah. Since I've learned about my Enneagram, it's exciting. And I've wanted to learn more. It's like, give me more, give me more information, help yeah. me understand more. And then I'm like, I want to understand my husband. I want to understand my kids so go. that I can be the best me to support them. Yes. It's exciting. It is exciting. I feel like it's exciting. It energizes you, right? Yeah, I do absolutely. feel that. I do feel that a lot. Yeah. So how do we learn about our Enneagram? If we have never heard of this concept before, what do we do to learn about our type and how do we incorporate the Enneagram into our lives? You can arrive at your type in a number of different ways. There's certainly Enneagram tests, personality tests are prolific online. Myers-Briggs is a relatively popular modality, especially in the business world. There's a pretty successful test that people can take that will bring you to your type in the Myers-Briggs layout or format. The issue, at least in the space of inner work, is that it describes how other people experience you, where the Enneagram is all about how we experience ourselves. And so the framework and taking an online test, which people are very curious about themselves, they want to they want to be validated for who they are. And I think Myers-Briggs is helpful and it's really helpful in businesses. The Enneagram approaches things a little bit differently, and it requires a little bit more inner work. It helps to build interpersonal relationships where compassion can grow, trust can grow. It enables people to see people a little bit more thoroughly. I have a colleague that worked for Dropbox, and on their nameplates, it had their Myers-Briggs acronym and their Enneagram type. 
gosh, how incredibly useful is that in a business setting to be able to know, oh, okay, this is an Enneagram 8. I can go full board with this guy. Like he likes me to approach him. I read a quote the other day that said in relationship to eights that true friends stab you in the chest. (laughs) right? Like eights want to be told things directly. And Mm -hmm. so in the work setting, that was really a profitable bit of information that helps people to integrate who they are with the people they work with and then onward. So lots of personality tests. There's personality tests within the Enneagram. Again, I don't think that they're incredibly helpful because tests are designed to explain how others experience you. And the approach of the Enneagram is very different. So I am just one educator in this space of many. I really like doing podcasts. I like talking to people about it. I love teaching people about the power of this. It is big. It is a lot, but it is very, very, very powerful. And if I could say one thing that it's done for me is it's helped me to have relationship with myself. Mm -hmm. And really, that's the only thing that matters is if I can be a sovereign human being that is full of capacity to love and befriend others. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the Enneagram interviews, the Enneagram tests, and then self-study would be the three ways to find your type. Yeah. And I actually tried to type myself because <laughs> I was very interested in the Enneagram. And I thought I was a type six and I had gone to online tests and I'd read a lot of things and I was positive that I was a type six. And I remember coming to you and wanting some guidance and some information. And by the time we had finished our visit together, our session together, I was not a type six at all. And you Mm -hmm. had helped me see that you took me to my childhood, some really deep, important parts of me that I had covered up by so much Mm -hmm. life experience and trauma Mm -hmm. and just different belief systems that I had piled on top of myself. And you did not tell me what I was. And and I love that you pointed that out. I don't tell mm. people who they are. I help people discover. And that's what you did. You helped mm. me discover and kind of gave me some thoughts and some guidance until I arrived at type seven. And when I looked at type seven, it was like coming home. Mm. It was absolutely like coming home mm. because I had not looked at those parts of me or allowed those parts of me to come forward for 30 years. Mm. I mean... It was incredible. So absolutely, I say, find a guide, work with you, connect Mm -hmm. with someone who is very knowledgeable about the Enneagram and can guide Mm -hmm. because I was doing it wrong because I was at my surface ego level and I wasn't paying attention to who I really, really was and betraying myself even in that moment. So How do we connect with you? Because I know that you're online and you share beautiful things in posts on Instagram. Tell us how to connect with you. So the best place to find me is on Instagram. I'm at everyday.enneagram on Instagram. There's a a lot of ways you can reach out that way through direct message or um, you can even book appointments through me in that space. I do a lot of Zoom work. I do a lot of face-to-face as well. But of course, I I have a lot of clients that aren't in the state that I reside in. So Zoom, thank goodness, is a really great alternative. And surprisingly, this works really well on Zoom. We can unpack a lot through our computer screens. And then my website is everydayenneagram.com. Actually, it's everyday-enneagram.com, but I think you can search Everyday Enneagram and you'll find me. So those are probably the best places. And I'm really looking forward to doing more work in this space. If I could leave with one invitation, which would be to learn yourself. And I have a little strategy, and I actually wanted to offer this for anybody that wants a download, but I have what's called a cluster journal prompt. It's a cluster journal worksheet or workbook that people can download. And it invites you to begin that quest of inner observance and to discover who you are. And a lot of people resist journaling. You know, it's like, oh, it takes time and I don't know (laughs) what to say and I don't want people to read it. And they don't like their handwriting. I mean, there's a million excuses. So this is sort of a strategy or a tool that you can use to begin this introspection, to begin to turn that light on on the inside and to find yourself. So it's basic. There's nothing novel about it. It's like you put the idea in the middle and then you brainstorm and you just watch what comes out. And one of the best prompts is, what do I know about myself? You Mm -hmm. put that in the middle and you just brainstorm it out. 
I had a really cool experience with my son, very briefly. But my son was struggling with something. He's 15 years old. He didn't have the language to describe it. And thank goodness I had this strategy. I said, Sam, will you cluster journal with me? Because I would say, well, how do you feel? What are you thinking? He was like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And so I said, will you just do this with me? Let's do this exercise. I put, how do you feel right now in the middle? I said, give me the first thing that comes to mind. And he said, embarrassed. And I was like, okay, we're going someplace. Mm -hmm. And then I said, well, what does that feel like? And he didn't know. And I said, well, can you give it a color? And he's like, "Eh, blue. On a scale of one to 10, where is it? And then he gave me, like, we're getting more and more data. And then pretty soon we had a whole page filled with things that he thought he didn't know about himself. And then I tore it out of my notebook and I handed it to him. And I said, Sammy, so when you say, I don't know, you do know. Mm-hmm. You just need to sit with it. Mm-hmm. You need to inquire. And it, in a way, trains our nervous system to say, it's actually not too bad to write down what I feel. It's not too bad to give it a color or a number or where in my body am I feeling it. So that's just one example of how powerful this type of journaling can be. Yeah, Because people don't just arrive at themselves by running errands all day. You have to slow it down. You yeah. got to stop and sit in a contemplative practice. And journaling, I find, is a very, very effective way. So I would love to offer that. There's a, a download that I can give you and it it will take you right to a PDF that will give you a list of prompts and an invitation to begin that journey of self-observation and see what comes up. I'll offer you a link. Maybe you yes, can add that later. Yes, we will put all of this in the yeah. show notes because I, I know for me, it took forever to even figure out how to spell Enneagram. <laughs> yes. So the website, everyday-enneagram.com will have a link to it, but they can also, through my Instagram, just click the button through my link tree and it will take them directly to the PDF and they'll be able to download the worksheet or the workbook. It's called the Cluster Journal Workbook. That sounds wonderful. I think it's a great first step. Thank you so much. Any other final thoughts as we're wrapping up? I'm just happy that we've been able to talk about it. It's definitely a a passion of mine. I love being able to talk to people about it. So thank you. Well, thank you so much for being here. This has been wonderful. And I know it's going to help so many people. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) To connect with us, join our private Facebook group. This is a group where you will find ideas, be able to ask questions, and find the support of a like-minded community. We also have monthly local element events where we feature a different element each month and we bring in specialized speakers. And these events will be live streamed exclusively into this group. And if you're local, we also find a lot of fun activities in the group, such as hikes, pickleball, vision board nights. You can also join our Instagram page at 7 Elements of Wellness. Find out about upcoming events, to look for inspiration, motivational quotes, and a lot of shares. Make sure to check out our website at 7elementsofwellness.com. Here you can join our newsletter, which will give you updates on upcoming podcasts, articles on health and wellness, and the latest local events. You can also check out our website for the seven-day challenge. So every month we begin a new challenge from the first of the month to the seventh of the month because most people can do anything for seven days, right? The best thing is that we have a community to support you because we know that having accountability buddies is where it's at. Right, so after the seven days, we're going to choose a winner for one of our amazing sponsors. And then from there, you're going to see how many days in a row you can flow. If you'd like to create your own seven elements of wellness community where you live, reach out to us. We'd love to help you get it started. The seven elements of wellness podcast is created and produced entirely by volunteers who are passionate about sharing this message and assisting you on your journey to feel good more than you don't. If you would like to contribute to helping us continue to bring amazing content through this podcast and community events, we would love your support. You can find us on Venmo under our business account at Life Integrated. Any donation is so greatly appreciated and we thank you so much.